Okay, so we're looking at Acts chapter 21. It's, it's really late, so I'm hoping not to disturb my neighbors. Acts chapter 21. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Cos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. So we, we, we. Luke was together with Paul at this stage of the journey. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, verse 4. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not, not to go on to Jerusalem. Uh, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Hey, really cool. Philip back from, I don't know, was it Acts 9, Acts 8, something like that. A long time ago, he was the evangelist that went to Samaria. If you remember, yeah, Acts 8, and uh, Acts 8, yeah. And then he also witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch. Didn't hear from him since then. But now he has how many daughters again? Uh, seven daughters. Um, uh, sorry, one of the seven, but he had four unmarried daughters, verse 9, who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So everyone, everyone's warning Paul, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. You know, there's uh, going to be trouble there. They're going to bind you up. So this prophet even acts it out, takes Paul's belt, ties himself up in his legs. Oh, this is the way that they're going to tie up the person who owns this belt. So it's kind of like a warning from this prophet. Uh, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the Lord's will be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. When we had come to Jerusalem, I'm noticing actually at every stop, you know, he's now made lots and lots of friends. Now, remember, this is Paul, the guy who used to kill Christians. You know, what a big difference now since um, that turning point, since his conversion, and now since his ministry, he's gained the trust of so many people that they're concerned for him, concerned for his life. And at every stop, you know, he just has built up this, this, uh, this series of connections, this group of uh, believers who all really love him and care for him. I think I think that's that's really touching. That's really encouraging. It's really it's almost maybe even a sign of ministry done right, that uh, you've uh, made connections and real relationships with people over time. Yeah, I think this is the way it should be. It means that he's supported. It means that uh, he's looked out for. He's accountable. 
Um, where are we? Verse 17. Then we, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And he said to him, You see, brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They're all zealous for the law. And they've been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to their customs. Now, this is not true, but I think it comes from Paul hanging out with so many non-Jews. You know, Paul is converting so many Gentiles, and he's telling the Gentiles that they don't need to obey Moses. But I think what's worrying here is that the Jews are thinking that he's telling the Jews that they don't need to obey God's law. They don't need to be Jews anymore. And that's causing some kind of offense. That's causing people to hate him, causing people to misunderstand Paul because he himself is still a Jew. He still goes to the synagogue, still goes to the temple. He still fulfills his vows. And so he takes seriously you know, God's word and actually even just how precious it is, uh, the Jewish culture, and he still follows that. But it's being misinterpreted because of his association with those who are not Jews, who do not follow and do not need to follow these rules in order to become Christians. And verse 22, what then is there to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Do therefore what we tell you, we have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law, which is true. You also follow the rules. But as for the Gentiles who believed, we've sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. We reread about this. There's this Jerusalem letter that's been going out to all the Gentile churches to be sensitive towards the Jewish Christians and the Jewish believers in their area. You know, um, so to avoid these kind of certain practices of associated with pagan worship, you know, uh, eating food sacrificed to idols, that kind of thing. Uh, verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he's going to go to the temple to sponsor these people who are fulfilling their vows and he himself to be in obedience, to be seen to be in obedience to the temple laws. So he's still a Jew. He's still um, uh, living out life as a Jew. And he wants that to be obvious to the people in Jerusalem, you know, where everyone's a Jew, that kind of thing. Verse 27. Oh, wow, this is this long chapter, long chapter. Bear with me. Verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple as defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So again, just that association, just because Paul was hanging out with these Greeks, they, they supposed that he'd brought that Greek person to defile the temple. And I don't know if this is one application, but maybe it's not a bad thing to be seen so much with non-Christians that people think that you are 
I don't know, that you're a non-Christian yourself, that kind of thing. You, I mean, it's, it's wrong. I mean, what they're thinking is false. It just goes to show that he's so associated with people who are outside of their culture. He's witnessing to them that he's almost considered as one of them. Now, again, Paul is a Jew. You know, Paul is thoroughly a Jew, and as well as a Christian, more importantly, that he believes in Christ. But such is his friendships. Such is his time spent with people who are not Jews, people who are not Christians, that he is almost thought of as one of them. And I think there's a kind of compliment here that, you know, you're not just hanging out with the same crowd. You're serious about reaching others with Christ, such that those people who misunderstand you anyway, misunderstand you in this way. They always hang out with these people. Not, not, not exactly a compliment, but um, not exactly, you know, bad either to have this association. You know, it shows where you spend your time, how serious you are, and how sociable you are, especially when it comes to the gospel. Um, verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. Uh, <laughs> and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So there's this huge uproar. People pull Paul out of the temple and there was a huge crowd around him. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions, ran down to them. This is to the tribune, like a judge or a, a city official. Uh, so he brought all these soldiers. And when he saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was, what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. And the army, army barracks, you know, where soldiers live. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him, away with him. You didn't want to kill him. There are so many people. The soldiers had to carry Paul because if anyone had their hands on him, they would just pull him and punch him and want to kill him, that kind of thing. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, um, uh, do you know Greek? Uh, are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, brothers and fathers. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I'm going to stop there, leave you in suspense. Because here is Paul addressing the crowd that wants to kill him. And I think you just have to wonder, you know, what's he going to say? Uh, these are people who really hate you, who really misunderstand you. What's he going to say? I think he's going to tell them the gospel. He's going to tell them about Jesus. But just the fact that he's willing to do this. He's about to be broke brought away into safety, but he wants to and is willing to address the people who want to kill him because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for him to clear the air. It's an opportunity for him to um, preach the gospel. Here's a crowd. You know, they want to kill you, yes. But here's a crowd who are gathering and, you know, here's an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. I think Paul is just that kind of guy who... Um, he understands that it's going to cost him, it cost him his life. But he understands as well that these opportunities don't come every, way, every day. 
It's almost part of his daily life to have these threats. And he sees it as just, you know, a natural response to the gospel. Not necessarily to him, but to the gospel that reaches out to, you know, to the Gentiles, that God is saving people not just like us, that God's grace means that we don't deserve this, that it's overflowing to people who might not, in our eyes, deserve it. And Paul wants to preach this grace to these people so that they too, even as enemies, even when people want to kill him, they too might receive this grace, this love, this forgiveness from God, and might themselves know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, that's Acts chapter 21. I'm going to stop here. Um, it is 11.36 in the evening, really late. Yeah. Good night, take care, and God bless. Bye. Shh.